Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And today is a book day. Thank God. That sports episode was insane. It dragged on, for sure. Uh, we, we may have to make some edits to the way we do our episodes from now on, just to avoid what happened on Tuesday. So we're sorry. Or... We're not sorry, because I did such a great job editing it together. Yes, we'll find out. (laughs) In the latest book news, we've got some adaptations to talk about first. Oh, man. The cast for Neil Gaiman's The Sandman has finally been revealed. That's exciting. The show was picked up by Netflix in 2019 for an 11-episode season. I understand why they didn't film last year. Well, obviously, yeah. But they're just now announcing the cast. That's insane. Not really. I feel like a lot of these production houses, like, take them on ages before they ever are like, this is who we want. But Tom Sturridge will play Dream, while Gwendolyn Christie will co-star as Lucifer. Other actors announced were Boyd Holbrook, Charles Dance, Asim Chattery, Chattery, and Sanjeev Bhaskar. Netflix describes Sandman as a rich blend of modern myth and dark fantasy. The Sandman follows the people and places affected by Morpheus, the Dream King, as he mends the mistakes he's made during his vast existence. You mean it's not Morpheus going red pill or blue pill? Wrong Morpheus. Ah, drats. Neil Gaiman and Alan Heinberg will be co-writing the show with David S. Boyer as an executive producer for Warner Brothers Studios. So it's happening. Slowly but surely, I guess. Oh my god, it's happening. Yeah. And this year was the year that The Great Gatsby became public domain. So you can take the story, the characters, whatever, and turn it into just about anything. So some people are going to do that with F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. It's being adapted for TV. It will be a miniseries by A&E Studios and ITV Studios America. However, there's going to be a twist on the story. So according to the writer Michael Hurst, this version will tweak the original story to explore New York's black community in the 1920s as well as the musical subculture. So I feel like that'll be an interesting take. We've also somewhat recently had a movie adaptation with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's the guy. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't. But this new adaptation hasn't been picked up by a platform yet. So that's a little weird. Normally you get the platform and then everything sorts of comes together. But yeah, I think they're just wanting the right place to put it. That makes sense. Like, when it comes to movies and TV show adaptations, you always should be finding the right channel to support it. Because obviously, if you're broadcasting on a station that nobody follows, that would be your, like, normal fan group. It kind of can disorient. Well, and you don't want to stick something like this on Netflix, I think, because they're pretty bad with the actual TV shows that they have, where they'll hype something up and then as soon as people get into it they decide that they don't want to have a second or third season and they'd rather do something else to bring more people in yep so i could see that being a problem for this the author nicola yoon has announced the cover and title of her latest book instructions for dancing will come out on june 1st This new book will be about a girl named Evie Thomas, who is dealing with her parents' divorce, but takes on a magical twist when Evie soon discovers a new power. And while her world is completely changing in multiple ways, a new friend tries to drag her out of her untrusting and cynical worldview. So it's almost like a contemporary with a magical twist. At first I was like, maybe I should read this book, Learning How to Dance. But then, uh, yeah. You wouldn't read a Learning How to Dance book anyway. Oh, I would try, but I wouldn't get any better from it, probably. And this next one, I didn't necessarily want to bring up because I feel like we've talked about this author's quote-unquote updates more than enough. But then he said something I found kind of, uh, not ironic, just, I don't know, weird for him to say. Okay. So there's another George R.R. Martin update. 
that has come out this week. I'm still writing the book. No kidding. Basically. So he wrote on his latest blog post that in 2020, he's written hundreds of pages for the new book, but that there are still hundreds of pages left to write. He's like, this is my best year ever, but still have like half of it to go. Yeah, we we literally joke about George R.R. Martin at work in the sense that like when it comes to updates on things that are delayed right now, it's like, here's another George R.R. Martin update and there's nothing new, but it's still delayed. Right. It's just like, great. He said in the blog post that he's not going to make predictions on when he'll finish it because, and I quote, every time I do, a-holes on the internet take that as a promise. Well, then don't tell people when to expect the book Yeah. until you have a firm date. Why would you even say that to begin with if you're known for missing deadlines? He seems like one of those guys that like gets these promised dates from the like publishers and then he's just like, yeah, I don't feel like that's when I really want to be done with it. <laughs> like, he's a slow writer. He's notoriously slow. And then on top of that, he just misses, blows completely past deadlines. And it's like, stop telling people when you're gonna do stuff. But the reality is... Everything, for the most part, that he comes out with is phenomenal based on what, like, my understanding of his writing capabilities are. Well, I don't like his writing, so that's just me. Yeah, but for the most part, the world of readers is like, wow. He's a beloved author. I don't, like, begrudge him that. But at the same time, it's like, quit updating your fans if all your updates say is it's coming out at some point. Like, there's no point in that. That's a waste of time. You could have been writing another page in your book instead of this blog post. At the same time, I get, like, keeping his fans up to date. Obviously, you don't want them to never know what's going on, but... Yeah, but if your update is only, like, nothing's happening, there's no point. Like, you could have done, like, maybe a end-of-the-year update where you're like, I made this much progress this year, but I still have a lot left to go, and that's the the end-of-the-year update. Like, maybe that would have been fine, but this is, like, the fourth or fifth time we've talked about him updating. In, like, the last year. Yeah. Yeah. But... I mean, it's a lot of progress, it sounds like, but compared to what he needs to get done, he's only like halfway through, is what it sounds like. That's uh, exactly what it sounds like. But it either way, it sounds like Game of Thrones fans aren't going to get the Winds of Winter this year. Clearly. 2022 would be like Pushing an on. optimistic guess. Yeah. So, Yay. there you are. We'll wrap up on George R.R. R. Martin now. But... I guess we can talk about a writer who is actually gonna have a book come out this year. That's probably exciting. Six-year-old Robert Samuel White III (laughs) (laughs) filmed a video with his dad in October of 2020, and it was a rap about careers children can get into as they get older. Okay. So they filmed the video, it went viral, and then he appeared on multiple daytime talk shows when he was offered this book deal. It shows you that I don't watch daytime television shows because I've never even heard of this guy. This guy? This six-year-old? Six-year-old kid. The You Can Be ABC's rap book will be a picture book for kids his own age that's going to come out in November. Actually, I'm a liar. I've heard of this. Only because... He's also sassy. Can I say he's sassy? Six years old, I guess. Yeah, you probably could get away with that. He's got a bit of an attitude. So apparently (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres was giving his dad a bunch of credit about the being able to beatbox so that the kid could do this rap. And he said something along the lines of stop inflating his ego or stop giving him so much credit or something like that. Oh, the kid said that about his dad? Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm like, you go. Well, you know, it's true. As always, kids say whatever is on top of their mind. They don't filter. It just comes right out of their mouth. Kids say the darndest things. Yeah, I wasn't going to go that far. But yes, they do. But it looks like his book will come out well before the winds of winter. I have a feeling it'll be a tad shorter, though. (laughs) Just a little. Let's just be honest. (laughs) I also like being a sarcastic person. Yeah. And then we have a book that has already been optioned when the book hasn't come out yet. So hopefully it's decent because Red Widow by Alma Katsu has already been picked up by Fox, despite the book being set for release on March 23rd. So before the book's even made, they're going to make a... Before the book's come out. Yes. The book's well, already the book's been, been made. Yeah. Uh, but so. the, before... <laughs> Jeez. Before publication. Uh, before publication, they're yes. going to pick it up as a, a possibility of a show. Yes. Interesting. So 
The book is a spy thriller about two female CIA agents who become intertwined around a threat to the Russia division. Where do I sign up? The threat is also coming from inside the agency. Yeah. The call is coming from inside the house. I, what's bad is because the title, it's Red Widow, right? Yeah. I already assumed it was Russia when you said spies because Red. Yeah, yeah. Not very creative on the title. And also, Widows there, being like tendency to be compared to spies. So There are also a couple things that already have this title, like yeah. movies and shows and stuff. So like they're going to have to distinguish themselves, obviously. But the book is written by author and former NSA slash CIA senior intelligence analyst, Alma Katsur. So okay. like she's got the experience and the knowledge to write this sort of thing. So that would be interesting. Because yeah. a lot of these types of books, they've only done like research. They haven't actually had the experience. So having like firsthand experience, it'll be a lot different. Yeah. More realistic, probably. But she's already well known and a well loved author. So this book getting adapted so quickly might not, not that be that surprising, yeah. but at the same time, I'm always shocked whenever something gets picked up before you even have any sort of audience reception to, like, go I off of. I would imagine they probably got access to, like, a early copy of the book so that they could, you know, take a look at it, obviously, before they, they would be like, yes, well, here's yeah. monies. But they don't know what audiences think about this. It's true, point. it could completely bomb, and then they're out all the money for the production of it, so... Well, not even the production of it, just buying the rights to it. Yeah. So, we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah. It does sound like a U-book. This might end up being a U-book that we read in the later half of the year. Yeah. So when does the book exactly come out? March 23rd. Oh, so maybe not the later half of the year. Maybe I'll just read it in between books. <laughs> I gave him a look. <laughs> and then the last bit of news is that... On Tuesday, February 2nd, I don't like this story, by the way, just inserting that there for you. A man posted a photo of a snake in a bag that he says his wife found in a book of poetry that she had checked out from the library. I don't know who's using snakes as bookmarks, but I hate you. It's a dead snake. Okay, I was really confused. I'm like, a snake in a bag of books of poetry? I'm like, did she just go in there and be like, hey, it's a mystery grab bag of poetry from the library, and then there was a snake inside? No, there okay. was a dead snake in a bag that was used as, like, a bookmark in this book of poetry. That's pretty dark. Like, I doubt it was Pablo Neruda or anything mm. like that. But the library itself, which is the Carnegie Mellon University Libraries, has responded asking patrons to not put snakes in their books. I'm like, how did you not find that when you checked the book in? I feel like somebody who has a sick sense of humor was the one that checked it in and just left it be. Like, whoever finds it next. No. I hate snakes. That's like my biggest fear in life is snakes. So I would have lost my mind. It's called reptiles as a whole. How about we call it, it's my fear, I get to choose what it is. Thanks. But moving away from that horror movie, I pulled some questions to do in the tags from multiple tags because I'm still trying to work around the fact that you've barely read compared to my history of reading. I'm sorry. It's okay. But I have roughly like 12 questions, I think. Okay. So in your opinion, how many books are too many books for a series? I've predominantly been a trilogy, standalone, or duology reader so far in my life, shy of Harry Potter. Yeah. I would say, like, five, six books, like, six would be stretching. I feel like five is really where, like, I would truly be willing to just read a series normally. So, like, obviously I broke that rule with Harry Potter. But yeah. the reality is I think, like, five would be the most I would be willing to read in most instances. Most popular series stay pretty low like around three four five right but the longest series i've read in the ya slash adult genre was seven so i feel like for me the highest i would want to read is like seven or eight but i also did read a middle grade series that was 13 books long which is the a series of unfortunate events series by Lemony Snicket. But those are all shorter books as well. They are, but it is a series that I have read. So I think you're hinting at a point that a lot of people would make for this, which is it depends on how long the books are. Yeah. Like Brandon Sanderson has series that are pretty long, but 
like also their books are about a thousand pages like yeah i could do that for maybe four or five books you go beyond that and i'm I'm just like no i'm tapped absolutely not yeah but other series like harry potter i could do seven or eight so it depends on how long it is how easy it is to read how dense it is so i really think it depends but i think seven or eight is a good number do you prefer hardcover books or paperback books? Hardcover books. That took me 2.2 seconds. Yeah. For me, I like paperbacks when I'm reading, but as far as like looking at my shelves, I prefer hardcovers. Though looking at my shelves right now, I think I have about a 50-50 distribution. Maybe a little bit more for hardbacks. So the only reason I like hardbacks over paperbacks predominantly is the fact that I'm always afraid with paperbacks I'm going to accidentally rip a page out because they just feel flimsy. I can understand that, but it's much easier if you're sitting down for a long period of time to read if it's a paperback. It's true. There's less weight on your wrists as you're holding your book. So, Love triangles, yes or no? No. I said that I think they can be done well, but they've really saturated the market, so I don't like to read them anymore unless they are, like, perfect. Yeah. I think there's a way that you can do it well without, like, absolutely ruining the story or the relationships, but it's just, like, it's become so ubiquitous in the YA-specific genre that it's, like, I just, I don't want to read it anymore unless, unless it's perfectly dialed in. What is the last book you've recommended to someone? It was probably the first in the villain series. It would be Vicious. I recommended it to a rep that comes into my business that I work at. So she was super excited to hear that I was reading Hunger Games. But I was like, try this. I think you'd like it. And at first she was skeptical of it because of the same reasons I was, which is all the time time jumps. jumps. But I go, honestly, it's well done enough to where it's like, it's not completely irritating. And I, isn't that what every author wants to hear about their story? <laughs> if I ever interview her in the future, she'll just be like, so you find me uh, not completely irritating. I feel like, yeah. you're right, I do. I, I, I find you not completely irritating. So the last book that I've recommended is something that I read this past week, which is the one by John Mars. I really enjoyed it, and we'll get into that later, But I just wanted someone to talk to about it because I don't know anyone in my real life that's read this book. I basically read it because I heard Kayla from Books and Lala talk about it so much that it piqued my interest. Yeah. And so I just keep recommending it to people, hoping someone will actually read it so that I can talk to them about it. Yeah. But also, like, I feel like it's a good time to read this book. Like, I keep saying it's a mystery thriller pretending to be a romance. And, like, it's February, almost Valentine's Day. Like, wouldn't that be a great time if you're not feeling, like, in the super romance mood to pick up something like this? I guess. If you don't believe in the Hallmark holiday. What is the oldest book you've read by publication date that you can think of? This might be actually difficult. I had to look it up. I would have had to look this up and I wish you had told me because I probably would have been able to find out for you. That's tough. because Probably something from school. Yeah. Mine was something from school. Yeah. What is uh, probably like To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that. It's I feel like... That's one of the older books that I've read, but yeah. I, I feel like because I've I've read like Shakespeare stuff before, so realistically yeah. that would be older. So basically I said for my like reading for funsies and not for school, the oldest thing I've read was The Fairies by William Allingham, which is an Irish fairy tale that was originally published in the 1850s. It's in this like collection I have of Irish fairy and folk tales. But the oldest thing that I can remember reading from, like, school was reading Beowulf, which was from, like, around the 10th century, 11th century. So that's the oldest by publication, technically. Yeah, but how many times has that story changed over the times? Like, the different reiterations? You gotta think, like, they've had to probably edit things in from the original copy from way back, but who knows? It just seems like one of those really, really, really old books in that instance, but I don't know. It's because um, it is really old. Yeah, like Shakespeare would technically be the oldest books that I've read, like writing-wise, like Macbeth and stuff like that. Yeah. I think. Do you know what your newest book you've read by publication date? Well, it would be Vengeance. Well, oh, no, newest. 
Technically, I think you're right. I think that's right, too, to be completely honest, because Harry Potter's been around for a long time. Revengeful um, came out in 2018, fall 2018. Yeah, that would be the newest then. I said that the newest thing I've read lately based on publication date is an arc that I've read, which is Kisses and Croissants by Anne-Sophie Johano. It technically doesn't come out till April 6th, but if we're only doing things that I've read that have already come out, technically, it would be Enjoy the View by Sarah Morgenthaler, which came out last month. Yeah. And I've talked about it endlessly. I don't need to tell you what it's about. Yeah, I'm surprised we're not sponsored yet by that. Funny. So, speaking of, do you have a favorite author? <laughs> I don't know on that one. I, I really, I'm not attached to anybody yet. I think it's too early to tell for your reading life. Like, because I've read multiple books by different authors and so I'm like, I wouldn't really put anybody like, you're number one. Yeah, like, yeah. out of what I've read, so. You can do what I did, which was list multiple. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to answer the question more directly than you, I guess, in that instance. Because you're going to answer it like 18 times. I said that I really enjoy Maureen Johnson, Marissa Meyer, V. Schwab. But I've also really loved books by Jennifer Lynn Barnes, Brandon Sanderson, Adrian Young. Like, yeah. gestures vaguely at my favorite shelf. Any of these guys. I'll take any of them. I just... I can't pick a favorite author just like I can't pick a favorite book. Yeah. Because it's like, what do I feel like reading? What do I think I've enjoyed most recently? What's yeah, my favorite in what genre? Right. Do you prefer buying books or borrowing? I don't do much of the borrowing. Yeah. Unless you consider every book you own I'm borrowing from you to read. But considering... A large sum of them have been purchased from monies from our income. I feel like I'm not really borrowing it. I'm right. just reading it. So. I said buying because I would love to one day have a huge home library that I can just let people borrow from. Yeah. But only if you're going to be nice to my books. Yeah. What is a book you dislike that everyone seems to love? A book I dislike that everybody seems to love? If you can think of one. I don't really know that there's any... like because. I usually hate the things that most people hate, it seems, for the most yeah. part. Like, like the third book in the Divergent series, everybody hated that book. Right, right. And, and like, it seems like, for the most part, the Harry Potter books that I disliked were the same ones that most people disliked. So I'm really... I don't know that I have one, necessarily. I don't think you do, based off how you've talked to me about books. Yeah, and, and it's not to say that, like, I'm driven by other people's opinions, because that's a load of hooey. You know that if I hate something, I'm going to call it out for it, but... You're just of the majority opinion. Right, I just really not... I don't hate anything really that much, necessarily. Well, I went back into my Goodreads ratings over time, and I found a few that are broadly appreciated that I did not. And the first one is The Darkest Minds by Alexandra Bracken. I ended up rating that one star, and it currently has over a four-star rating on Goodreads. Oof. Yeah. And then another one is a mystery thriller called Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris, which I rated one star, and it currently has just under a four-star rating on Goodreads. So, I mean, I... I don't want to dislike popular things. It's just these two in particular I really, really didn't like, but everyone else seems to enjoy. Another one that I read recently was The Magicians by Lev Grossman that I read last fall. I absolutely hated it. I gave it 1.75 or 1.5, something like that. And it's currently over four stars, like 4.3 or something. And... I don't know. Just I wasn't reading these books as they were coming out. I was reading them well after they've been published. And I think over time, the genres change and develop. And so what people might have liked in 2015, people in 2021 aren't going to enjoy just because the taste of the literature has changed over time. That kind of makes sense. Also, some of these books were just garbage, like the B.A. Paris one. I just gotta say, if you go into that with any sort of knowledge about manipulation or abusive relationships, you're gonna think it's a piece of crap, because that's not how they work. Yeah. But that's a whole nother story for another time. I was gonna say. Bookmarks or dog earring pages? I feel like this question's come up before in one of our other ones. Um, Has I, it? Like, as a child, I was notorious dog ear, and I am now a bookmark user, so... The correct answer is bookmarks, and that the people who dog ear books are monsters. Well, I was a monster as a child, so I'm not shocked. All to children that. are monsters, so yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. 
I don't know if you have an answer for this next one. It's what's a book that you can always reread? Um, I think you have to start reading books before you can reread them. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I I would say most of the books I've read, I would be willing to reread so far. I, I'm i not going to hate on anything to the point where I'm like, at least I haven't yet anyways, where I'm just like, God, this is the worst. I'm never going to read this again. I can't wait till you find a book you hate. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for the podcast because I'll rant on for probably about 30 minutes about it. But no, really, like I, I haven't found anything that I really, really, truly hate. And I think I'm going to always be one of those people that reviews things in like that three or four category just because like you really have to make me hate a book to give you lower than that. In most mm-hmm. instances, like a lot of the books I've read, I would even put as like a high three, most of them and like a low four. So like I haven't really found the one that knocks me out of the park yet. And I really haven't found the one that has disappointed me so I, I really don't know i have a few books that i feel like i can reread again and again over time of course harry potter i read that every year right also the hunger games is pretty easy for me to reread it doesn't take a lot of work to get me in and out of that world yeah but also this one i don't want to be judged for but i totally will be judged for and it's the host by stephanie meyer i reread that once every couple of years It's just something that I find comfort in, despite knowing that this is, like, a little bit garbage. Like, it's not her usual garbage. It's slightly better, more fancy garbage. (laughs) And otherwise, I'm just rereading to refresh myself on a series before the next book comes out. Yeah. So usually I'm only rereading things so that I can be prepared. This year is going to be a little bit different because I'm rereading stuff to talk about with you. Right. So I'm also rereading stuff so that we can discuss it. And there are things that I normally wouldn't reread this year, but I can't have in-depth discussions with you if I don't. Right. This next one I know we've discussed and it's can you read while listening to music matter of fact i do most of the time but it's only because you're usually doing other things in the house and when i read i'm very easily distracted and i can partially blame that on add because i got that well for me i said absolutely not i said the closest i can come are asmr rooms and they're usually rain and stuff like rain or like fireplaces stuff like that that's the closest i can get Because it's background noise without distracting me. Right. But everyone's different, I suppose. This is true. I think it's easier to block out you doing stuff in the same room I am than music. Do you like books more that are one person POV or multiple POVs? So I've got a taste of both-ish right now. I like single person POV just because you're getting a direct perspective. But the books that I've been reading that I've really been enjoying lately are the multiple perspective POVs. Obviously, with like the villain series, you really get the capability of seeing from different perspectives the entire time. And so there's constantly always something happening. Well, I said for me that I like multiple perspectives for things that are really expansive and world building and different than our usual, like fantasy or sci-fi. Right. But I would prefer one POV for anything smaller than that. Like, I don't need a multiple perspective contemporary or mystery thriller or things like that. Though I did enjoy a multiple POV mystery thriller this week, so who knows? It varies. If you do it well, I'll accept whatever it is, obviously. Right. I can agree with that. And the last question for this tag is, do you read a book in one sitting or over multiple days? Well, because of my work life, it's usually across multiple days. Which is fine by me, to be completely honest. If I like, if I had a day off, maybe I could sit down and start reading a, a book in a day. But I would still probably opt to take multiple days just because I enjoy doing other things than just reading all day long. And that's what makes us different. Truly. I said only the best books get read in one sitting. So it's usually me reading over multiple days. I just don't have that kind of time anymore now that I'm a grown-up. But... At the same time, like, even if I didn't have adult responsibilities, if it's not one of the best books I've ever read, I'm not going to read it all in one sitting. Right. That's fair. Though, I mean, one of the trashy romances I've read recently did pull me in. And so, like, I read all of that in multiple sittings, but over the course of 24 hours. So if you're compelling garbage, you'll keep my attention as well. (laughs) But 
as for what I've been reading, the first thing I read was The One by John Mars. It's a backlist book from 2016. This is an adult mystery thriller that is pretending to be a romance, like I said. I rated it 4.5 stars. It didn't quite make it onto my favorites of all time, just because... There are a couple things that happen that I think, even though I'm suspending my disbelief, it's just a little too far. Like, I can't get there. Gotcha. Because it's just some really crazy crap goes down. Like, as you know, every chapter I was making some sort of exclamation, like, oh my goodness, what? No way. It was definitely the book that you were the noisiest about, (laughs) I think, that I've seen you read, so... There were pretty much shocking things happening in every chapter. Yeah. But, like, done in such a way that it doesn't feel, like, cheap or, like, underhanded. Like, it feels like they were all earned. Yeah, I can agree with that. So, this is a book where a DNA test is created that can scientifically match you with your soulmate. But there are repercussions that no one saw coming. You have five different perspectives as these people are matched and the experiences they have and how this match affects their life. And so like one of the perspectives is a divorced woman who is trying to kind of build her life back together matched with a guy who is 10 years younger than her who is free-spirited and loves adventure but it turns out that he had an accident right before they got matched. Hmm. So then she has to deal with that. The second perspective was my favorite perspective, which says a lot about me, but it's a guy who may or may not be a serial killer. And that was my favorite perspective. Yeah. And he was with a cop. Yeah. He got paired with a cop. Yeah. I remember you constantly like, oh, I was going to finish reading, but I have the chapter with the serial killer and the cop. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll see you in a few minutes. Yeah. And then you had a third perspective, which involved like match switching, which I won't go too in depth with because it's kind of funny how that happens. The fourth perspective is this engaged couple decides to do it to make sure before they get married that they're right for each other and that they're both the one. And it turns out that they're not meant to be together based on DNA. And they have to deal with the fallout from that. And that had some pretty funny ones because one of them got matched up with a gender they didn't think they were attracted to. Yes. So that was fun to see how they dealt with that. And it like it could have gone into some really homophobic directions, but it didn't. And so that was really good to see that it was done pretty well with that. But the fifth perspective is the one where the most oh crap moments happen. <laughs> because it turns out that this CEO of the company that does the matching finally gets a match. And so it's sort of what happens in her life that turns everything and makes it kind of crazy for the rest of the novel. To say the least. And the last hundred pages, I was just sitting there like, what's happening? What's going on? Can I read more? Can I finish this tonight? And then I effing did. And it's one of those books that like, it propels you forward through the story with all this crazy stuff that keeps happening. Right. But for the most part, they're not too weird too fast there were a couple people's perspectives where i'm like okay that's a little too crazy but otherwise everything felt realistic like you could have seen how this came to be and like i just really like this book so far it's one of my favorite reads of the year it's not a favorite book of all time or anything but compared to everything else i've read this year it's one of my favorites And then the last thing that I read this week was The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins because later on we're going to talk about the first half of the book when we get to what you've been reading. Yep. And it's a reread for me, a backlist book from 2008, a YA dystopian novel from that time period where it was pretty popular. The original star rating I gave this book when I read it for the first time was four stars. I don't know if I was reading this for the first time now, if I would give it the same rating because of how many dystopian novels I've read and how the genre has changed over time. Right. But I read it when I was in college and I really enjoyed it. And I think I have a lot of nostalgia 
tied up with that story. Yeah. I also think that story has a couple, like, shock moments, like, shock value things that happen. And you got to one of them that we'll talk about later. I'm wondering which one it is, because I felt like there were a couple shock moments. Yeah. And what I plan on reading next is Counting Down With You by Tashi Buayan, I think is how you say her name. It's a NetGalley arc. I believe this is a debut novel for her. The book releases on May 4th, but I wanted to read it this week because of Valentine's Day, because this is a YA contemporary romance. Basically, this is about the good girl at school deciding to help the bad boy at school by both tutoring him and fake dating him. And the only problem with this situation is that he's kind of the perfect boyfriend, at least the perfect fake boyfriend. Interesting. And it's an like own practice or something? I don't know. <laughs> it is an own voices book with a lot of POC rep based on the first like ten percent that I read this morning while you were setting up the podcast. Yeah. So it seems like it's gonna be a cute and easy romantic maybe a little bit fluffy read and I don't think it's going to take me a lot of time to get through but it seemed perfect for Valentine's Day and I had gotten that arc recently. And then the second book that I'm going to be reading is one that I heard about in early December, picked it up, and have been wanting to read it pretty badly but haven't been able to fit it into my schedule until now and it is Escaping Eleven by Jerry Chisholm. Okay. This is technically a new release because it came out in December, so it's been less than a year. It is a YA dystopian novel that I really think I should have gotten to by now because I eat that stuff up. Basically, in this novel, the world has been destroyed by humans, and so everyone has to live underground in compounds that seem to be the only inhabitable spaces left. And in Compound 11, the hierarchy of the floors is everything. The main character lives on a floor where they fight for their living. And she's starting to realize that she needs to fight for more than survival. She needs to fight for her freedom. And there's more than that in the synopsis, but I didn't want to, like, go too far in reading it. So I'll talk about it more after I've read the book. It sounds interesting, to be completely honest. You also haven't read as many dystopian novels as me, so I feel like you would probably enjoy this. Yeah. But, like, when the YA genre was going through this whole dystopian hype, kind of a couple of years, I was picking up any dystopian novel I could find. So, like, that's just part of my personality now, is loving dystopian novels. I've had no hate for the dystopian stuff I've read before, so I'm not, I'm not shocked. A lot of people are kind of over it because it saturated the market for so long, but I will continue reading dystopian novels. Right. So, but that is all I really plan on reading. I'm still struggling with the reading two books a week thing because my brain's like, that's not enough. You need to be reading more. Right. But I feel like I'm really enjoying the last couple of things I've read. I want to keep being able to read things that I will enjoy and take my time with them. So hopefully I can turn off that part of my brain. Yeah. But we can finally get into talking about The Hunger Games because you read the first half of it this week. And it reminded me a lot of the movie because I've seen the movie, which well, I would may hope... have been kind of spoilerish, but there were things that were in the book that you kind of got like a dabble of a taste of, I feel like, in the movie, whereas in the book you actually get a little bit more of uh, the full flavor. Right. I, I definitely feel like the scenes in the capital, you definitely get a lot more of in the book. Yeah. And I have enjoyed it as well, too. You kind of get a little bit more of an experience of Katniss and Gail's friendship, friend, ra friend relationship. The books do want you to question what they have. I think the first few scenes you have with them, it's definitely a friendship. I don't but, think there there's any romance. But like looking back at it, they they do relationshipy things for one another, whether they realize it or not. Not just like friendshipy way sometimes, but so does that mean your team Gail? I don't know. I don't know where I'm at yet. Right <laughs> as it sits, yeah, kind of because like he's willing to like take care of her family while she's gone. If she dies, he's gonna continue to help provide for them and like right. makes all these promises. And I'm like. 
That's I, a lot to take on at your age, bro. Like I also feel like I would hope my friend would do that for me in that situation. Yeah. So like that doesn't necessarily feel romantic to me, but there's also before we sort of lose ourselves in the conversation about Peta and Gail and Katniss's relationships, there's also a lot of people in the fandom who believe that Katniss may be asexual or on the ace spectrum because at the point where you're at right now, there doesn't seem to be a lot of romantic inclination coming from Katniss herself. It's just from what other people's expectations for her are. Yeah, I can kind of see that because, you know, during the interview process, they're like trying to play it off like she has a relationship at home or not. And there's just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. But the reason I feel like it was more of a relationship thing than like just a friendship, I think is as a whole, like District 12 kind of has like, yeah, we're kind of united, but we're all for ourselves still like fend for yourself type of situation. Right. I think that's what took it beyond just a standard friendship because, like, it seems like even just normal friendships don't go to quite that extent. Mm. I can see what you're saying there. I just don't see any romantic feelings from her at that point. But I do like a lot of the setup stuff that the author does for the district's District 12 in particular, where it's just everyone's completely downtrodden and they, like you said, are just sticking out for themselves. Right. Trying to survive. Like, even internally within their own family, they don't stand up for one another. They're just kind of like, I'm here to survive for myself, even though we're family, like, you're on your own. And, like, the family unit as a whole just seems kind of individualized. I think you kind of get that perspective from... Katniss's relationship with her mother, which is so strained based on her mother's depression whenever her father dies. Right. But I feel like you also get an impression of that as well from when Katniss volunteers for Prim and says no one else volunteers for their family members. They just let them go. And like what she did was completely unusual and weird for the situation. But at the same time, I feel like If you're one of the families who doesn't live in the seam and you are like a government position or you own a shop or something that I feel like you have less of a strain on trying to survive. Yeah. So you might have a better familial relationship in that way. Right. Because like even Gail, who is from the seam, is taking care of his family. Yeah. And, like, part of that is his father also died in the mines. But I think part of that is just who he would have been even if his father didn't die. Yeah. He seems to have a good upbringing and, like, a strong work ethic in in some instances. So that kind of makes him more wired to survive whatever gets thrown at him. Yeah. I don't know. I like seeing the strain between Katniss and her mother because she's had to take on so much responsibility at a young age trying to provide for her family and she feels like she can't even trust her own mother. Yeah. Which you especially see right before she gets sent off to the Capitol. Yeah. And it's, to me, sort of indicative of her mindset going into the games Because she can't even trust her own mother. How is she going to, like, trust anyone going up to going into the games? Because you see it over and over from basically the train on is she's questioning every little thing that PETA is doing the whole way to the Capitol, thinking that he's playing a game with her or trying to put her in a worse position so that he can have some sort of dominance over her in the games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whereas realistically, like, the whole time, he's just like, I want us to both have a real good chance. Right. Like, he's he's not trying to, like, undermine her in some way, shape, or form, where the whole time she's just kind of paranoid about it. Yeah. And I think 
PETA is an actual good guy. He's not a guy in the novel who's like, I'm such a good guy, and then doesn't do anything good. He's actively he's, just good. He's just doing good things, yeah. and she only wants to see, like, the worst out of them. But I think that's partially because of the way she's wired because of where she came up in, like yeah. what situation she grew up in. It's just a survivability tactic, not necessarily like she just doesn't trust anybody, but she has to in order to succeed and stay alive. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing, especially coming into the Hunger Games. So. I mean, I do see it kind of as a detrimental kind of aspect of her character. Like yeah. when she thinks back on her receiving the cookies from Peta's dad, she thinks, oh, I got to get rid of those. They're obviously playing around with me. And so she loses out on food she could have had, which now that she's being taken care of by say, the capital, that that's, thing, that's not yeah. really a problem. Yeah, But like, I wouldn't throw away cookies. That's w- just me. Neither would I, especially considering like she even states in her own mind that it's like something that most people from the scene will never experience. Right. And like, she can't afford this. She needs to put on weight. Why would you do that? But yeah. she's thinking that she can't trust anyone. And like, she could have had a better relationship with PETA leading up to the games that could have put her on a better footing before the game started, but she decided she can't trust him. Right. And like, you see it continually over and over. She does things because she doesn't trust anyone and she's trying to survive. When, if she had not overreacted like that, then she would have been in a better position with where it is in the games, food, money, like, all aspects of her life could have been different if she didn't have that mindset. Yeah. But I don't think there's a way for a girl from the seam who's been trying to take care of her family since she was 11 years old could have gotten to the point where she can be vulnerable and accept help and not try to see it as something that she, like, owes or has to pay back or something like that. Yeah. But I think in that first section, like, the first nine chapters, the thing that kind of was a shock to the system for me is seeing the stark difference between this like hard gritty life that Katniss has had to lead in District 12 and then they get to the Capitol train car and then they get to the Capitol itself and it's just so different. Yeah I think it's crazy where these two places are supposed to be because like you're in the Rockies supposedly in the Capitol. Yeah. You know and I'm just sitting there trying to think of like where they would actually be like to have something that large. Well, it's not just that. It's just, like, your life is so cushy here in the capital. And then District 12, like, you can literally just starve if you aren't, like, going at it all day, every day. Right. But, like, it being in the Appalachians for them, which makes sense, obviously, because that's where, like, a lot of the coal is. So, the coal mining and stuff like that. I thought it was pretty neat to kind of connect the dots as to where it was, because... In my brain, it was always just a made-up world, and then, like, because the movie doesn't really cover that. Explain it, yeah. Yeah. And the book kind of breaks down the geography of it a little bit, which I thought was interesting. Like, I didn't know there was a District 13 at one point in time before it got devastated by, you know, the The capital. So, I'd really like to see, like, a, a map geographical breakdown of it but obviously that's up to interpretation i would imagine well there are a couple maps online that some people have have like drawn up some of them are more correct in my mind than other ones based off the information from the whole series yeah some of them were done after book one and like that's not enough information to really get it right i think there was one that got approved by suzanne collins i would have to look it up i can't think of it off the top of my head but i liked how each district was in charge of doing a certain thing so it made it easier to like pinpoint like how their lives might have been or like yeah what their cities would look like i just don't think that i can understand really the disparity between the capitals like lush and cushy life and then you have people starving in district 12 and it's like is there no middle ground here like you're so busy worrying about the people of the capital being happy and like safe and healthy that like literally every district outside the capital is like starving and fighting to survive 
And, like, you kind of get that with the Hunger Games, too, where, like, when they're in the game, certain things have to happen in order to keep things exciting or entertaining because otherwise the people in the capital will get bored. Yeah. And so it's like you're appeasing this really tiny audience, which, you know, you can compare to real world political situations as well, but that's a whole different topic. Yeah. But I also enjoyed seeing the way that they were kind of like experiencing whole different lives. You got to eat solid food every day, train, have nice showers, good clothes. Like you almost seem to have like a slightly easier life if you can stop thinking about the fact that you might die in a week. Yeah. But then you also see a level of like slavery in the capital with the Avox. So, you know, you have the scenes related to them and honestly, it's pretty dark to hear about the Avox and, and why they exist. And like even Hamish, who's from District 12 is like belittling them as the worst people. And it's just like, dude, they're not that far from where you are, man. Well, you have to realize that in the capital, like you're always being watched. Like even if it's just like the people who are serving you food or making your beds or whatever, you're always being watched. So like, I don't think Hamage actually thinks that. He just says it out of, you know. Trying to cover his butt. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you'll see later in the games that, People will say and do things to kind of cover themselves. And you have to do what you can to survive because if you don't, you might be marked as a traitor and your tongue cut out and you're forced to serve in the capital somewhere. Yeah. And so, like, I actually think this series is a little darker than most people give it credit for. Because a lot of people want to focus on the Peta gale romantic relationship, like, love triangle thing that is completely unnecessary in the series, in my opinion. But if you read slightly between the lines, you really get, like, whoa. How like, dark it is. There's some awful things that are going on here, and you're not really paying full attention to it because you're focused on the main storyline. Well, okay, let's dial it in a little bit because like the main storyline of the series is that the hunger games exist to keep the people in their place and each district has to volunteer two children to go die yeah so like it's dark already it's it's already pretty nasty yeah but people want to focus on the romance for some reason which is stupid and like it's kind of funny because if you were a fan of this series at the times of the the films were being made you saw a lot of like what i would consider capitalist like not capitalist capital like thoughts so like from the people from the capital in the books because like it's this dirty and gritty and like raw thing in my opinion but it's packaged as like this romance and so like you saw they were selling hunger games like makeup palettes and crap when the movies were coming out and i'm like you're completely missing the point absolutely missing the point with this series yeah and i think you do have that sort of romantic like dropping of uh drop the shoe i guess yeah moment where Peter's in his interview and he's like oh yeah i'm in love with the girl i came here with and everyone's like oh god oh my god star-crossed lovers yeah and then katniss is again complete and total overreaction after the interview well she was ambushed let's just be honest she didn't expect it to come but But at the same time she she shoves him into a vase and cuts his hand open physically attack someone like right before you're both going into the hunger games that you both hate yeah and just already making things worse for herself and him because way worse for Peter. let's call it what it is because now she's gonna live with the guilt of having done that to him right before he has to go try to survive yeah and like completely thinking that he's doing it to make her look stupid and all this other crap and then Haymitch has to point out no what he did was a good thing because like now people want you Yeah, you're the item that they can't get their hands on because there's somebody that loves you. Well, and now everyone understands wanting someone that you may not be able to be with. At some point or another, most people have experienced that. Yeah. And so, like, now they're not just rooting for you because they want you and they can't have you. Also, they're rooting for your relationship that they feel is doomed. Because of the thing that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. And honestly, like... As much as I 
don't like drunk Hamish. I feel like he sets them up for a level of success that they just don't understand because they're kids and they haven't been there. They don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And you can hate on him as much as you want, but between Cinna and Portia and him, they're really setting them up for success. Like, you are the highlight of the games at this point. Yeah, like, you're like, oh, he's always drunk and he doesn't know what he's doing. No, he's been there so many times that, like, he understands it, but he's never had anybody come from district 12 that's like that successful yeah Yeah. of that quality that caliber well and you have to sort of look at it and go what does haymitch have to go through year in and year out it's gotta be depressing that's why he probably drinks so much trying to prepare people to to go into the games and die that's gotta be demoralizing but also he drinks so much because he has ptsd honey because, like, He's been he, there. he was there. Yeah. He did the thing. He's one of the people that survived. Right. So, I mean, that kind of brings me to a different point And that I think the series does a good job of representing mental and physical health problems. I, I agree so far. I'm right on there with you. And, like, there's some more physical stuff I can't talk to you about yet because it hasn't happened. But there is Hamish's obvious... PTSD and like self-medicating and like his struggle to deal with that. Yeah. But also there's some stuff later on that you see that is good representation. But even just like the Avoxes who are mute because they've had their tongues cut out, that's still like, it's not a good situation that they're in, but it is good representation, I think, of them. And later in the series, you'll see some more representation from them as well that I think is done a little bit better than it is in this book. But I think this series as a whole does a good job with representation for people of color and mental and physical health problems as well. Yeah, no disagreements. I'm trying to remember what point you stopped at now, though. Uh, the bad thing is I don't know that... Oh, yes, I do. They they just dropped the um, tracker wasps. The tracker jacker nest. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, then... You've gotten to the Hunger Games actually happening. Katniss tries to go in to the cornucopia, but was thrown off by PETA telling her not to. And then PETA did it. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's the assumption anyway. Yeah. And she grabs what she can and gets out of there. And like, this is the part that I don't like reading because for some reason, every time I read about her getting so dehydrated and like almost hallucinatory at that point. She was hallucinating. I was like, I have to like drink from my faucet the whole time I'm reading through these chapters because like her dehydration makes me so thirsty. Like looking back at it, I probably was drinking more water than I normally do, but I don't feel like I was like going out of control. Yeah, no. Um, Ever since I read it in college, like, those few chapters where she's dehydrated, I'm, like, guzzling water. Like, a crazy amount of water. It is kind of strange. That is funny, though. Yeah, it is. But, no, I'm enjoying the game's stuff so far because I feel like that's more up my alley, like, the action side of it. Well, how did you feel about finding out that PETA was with the careers? Because I've seen the movie, I know why he's there, so I like I didn't feel that bad about it. But yeah. at the same time, like Peta came across as a pretty smart guy, and I feel like he's playing these meatheads right. against themselves. Like, don't get me wrong; these other people are highly educated in comparison to probably what they are in District Twelve. But also, at the same time, they're so overconfident that they're going to win that that's a disadvantage. Yeah. Well, and they're thinking at this point that they'll use him and then just kill him off and everything will be well, fine. you hear that in the book. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, they're just so sure of themselves. And I think that gets used against them later. Yeah. But I also, I particularly love the scene where she climbs into a tree and then is like, are you going to come up? Yeah. And, like, just talking crap from, like, 30 feet above them. And no one can make it up there because they're all too big because of how they've been eating and training their whole lives for this. Right. And, like... They try to shoot the arrow and it misses her by, like, 10 feet and sticks into the tree. She just waves it down on them. Yeah. And it's hilarious. Yeah. And I enjoyed the part where... Rue warns her about the tracker jacker and she's thinking like, well, I've got that above me. I've got them below me. Yeah. Might as well do something about both. Yeah. And that was all like 
fun to see, but also it's kind of like, this is a deadly situation, but at the same time, like, I'm laughing, and I think this is funny. I'll be honest, I connected the name Rue to being a kangaroo, because she's literally, like, jumping between the trees and stuff like that, and I thought that was kind of maybe a little creative. I I don't think that's what she was going for, but I like the way your mind works. Because, like, she literally, like, in the book, it's like, she's just running through and jumping from tree to tree, and I'm like, that's super dope, like... Yeah. That's definitely not something I expected a small child to be able to do. Well, she is small. Yeah, but, like, if you... In normal forests, trees aren't, like, close together, and the branches that are support enough to wait are, again, usually not that close together. So, you know, it's it's interesting, to say the least. Yeah, but there's so much I want to talk to you about, but you haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, but I'm excited to finish the book this week, because that is the goal. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for a lot more combat because I, I know it's coming because there's still a lot of people alive. Yeah. Based on, like, the fires from this portion of the book. They're shrinking the playing field. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. I think the book has been really good so far. I would say I probably liked it more than Harry Potter overall. And Interesting. I would put it there with the villains series. I wouldn't put it past it, though. I think just, like, a hair behind it so far. Oh, okay. If I had to rate, like, the series is so far. But again, I'm on book one, so there's two more to go after this, so. Exactly, yeah. So, but on that note. We'll see you guys next week for sports, sadly. (laughs) And then thankfully books after that. Yes. uh, Obviously next week we'll be talking about the Super Bowl outcome, which is exciting. To me, at least. To you. But stay linked up on our social media, guys, because we will be posting plenty. Yeah, it's down in the show notes if you want to check any of that out. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.